The Super Bowl is over. In the end, a seasoned professional was able to wipe the grin off the face of an arrogant upstart. No, wait, that was the Republican debate. No, no, it was the Super Bowl. No, it was the Republican debate. The Super Bowl was the one where an evil witch and a blithering crazy man battled it out to see which one could do more damage to America. No, that, that was Poison Ivy and the Scarecrow in the Arkham Knight video game, right? Arkham Knight was the one where the poisonous female and the vengeful madman tried to leave a destruction and havoc in their wake. No, that was the Democratic debate. So which one was the Super Bowl? Oh, that was the one where the news media tried to use racial issues to silence and shame anyone they disagreed with. No, it's the Obama administration. So, which one of them had Peyton Manning in it? He's a genuinely talented, humble, classy guy, so it couldn't have been the Democratic debate. It couldn't have been the Republican debate. So he must have been in the Super Bowl. I hope he won. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. It's also confusing, you know? <laughs> but it was a great game, great Super Bowl, one of the great defensive you know, games, I think, in Super Bowl history, probably. Denver just crushed them, and Peyton Manning, terrific. It was great to see, great to see one of the great quarterbacks, theoretically, theoretically go out on such a high note and get his second ring. His brother didn't look too happy. The one thing his brother Eli had over him was that second ring, and now they're, they're tied. But anyway, it was great. I actually have something to say about this, but I'm going to wait, hold it off, and talk about the debates first. I mean, I had a great I had a great weekend, poker with J.A. That was terrific, excellent, excellent poker game. And then watched the Super Bowl at a, on a big screen at a party with my friend uh, Justin Folk, who did the backgrounds on my Clavin and the Culture videos. And all the, he and his whole Madison McQueen, they're now, he's now part of a production company, Madison McQueen. They were there, and he's a huge Denver fan. So I'm deaf in one ear from sitting next to him watching this thing. So it's, it's too bad the country's going down the drain because I'm having a great time. It's like, <laughs> it's like poker, Super Bowl. And by the way, the Republic is dead. Oh, you know, are we out of nachos? No, they're still nachos. Oh, okay. And then that's what that's. <laughs> don't, don't, don't hate me because I'm shallow. Um, so the, the Republican debate, I really have to talk about this. What I want to talk about is I want to talk about this idea of political personae or personas. I mean, everybody now, I think, knows what a persona is in, in the movies. You know, Tom Hanks, it's, it's, it's from a Latin word meaning mask. It used to be a dramatic mask. And it means the character that you play, even though you play different characters. So Tom Hanks has the persona of the kind of stalwart American man of integrity. And no matter what he plays, you know, if he's playing a Southerner, if he's playing a foreigner, no matter what he plays, he's basically the American man of integrity. And you can play with it. But it's really interesting because what it does is it kind of channels the mind of the audience into this idea of you. And it's very hard, once you have a, a rock-solid persona, it's very hard to play outside it. When Tom Hanks plays in a movie where he was in uh, some movie where he played this thief with buck teeth and all this, just nobody showed up because they wanted to see him in the persona. In politics, you also have a persona. And the, th the thing I want to look at is how the persona gets made because... A persona can be good or bad. You can be the American man of integrity but turn out to be a bad guy, and it's still a Tom Hanks role. Jimmy Stewart used to do that. He'd play Jimmy Stewart as a bad guy, Jimmy Stewart as a good guy. So you can have a bad or good persona, and it's always, of course, to the advantage of your political opponent to cast you in the bad persona. So if you are Marco Rubio, you might be young, fresh, and vibrant, but you also might be inexperienced and callow. It's the same persona, right? It's just whether it's a good, good or bad. So it's always to the advantage of your political opponent to cast you in the bad version of your persona. And if you happen to be a Republican or a conservative, then you have the media piling on to hammer the coffin down on that bad persona, right? And that 
it, it is so powerful. I mean, I just know from show business, you think of a TV show like Blue Bloods, one of the big hit shows on TV, millions and millions of people watch all the time, never on the cover of a magazine. Then you think of a show like Girls, 600,000 people, which is statistically none. Nobody is watching it. You know, it's like it's watched everywhere from 53rd Street in Manhattan to 57th Street in Manhattan. That's that is where you know, it sweeps across, you know, the, the Upper East Side. That's that's basically basically where girls is watched. But Lena Dunham is on the cover of Entertainment Weekly and all this stuff. So they, the press has a very powerful role in cementing ideas in our mind and saying, but this is a hit show. This is a hit show, and you think, like, it's not. It's not a hit show. That's not reality, but it kind of makes it a, a reality, and the same thing happens with political persona, and that's why so many Republicans get stuck with this idea of themselves that's a little bit icky. You know? So we saw the big news, obviously, in the Republican debate was that Marco Rubio got smoked by Chris Christie. I mean, Chris Christie just took him apart. Christie went after him. His, Chris Christie has this kind of drumbeat that he hammers that I'm an executive. I was an executive governor. I am a an executive, a governor, and you're just a senator, and all senators do is talk. All they do is talk, whereas a, a governor has to go out and he has to solve things. That's kind of true, but you know, it's not like a senator can't make a good president. So it's like a, a small point, a small point. And the thing about Rubio that was so amazing, and Rubio came, comes into New Hampshire with all this momentum from his good showing in Iowa, He's got to know. They're coming after him. He's got to know he's going to be attacked. It reminded me, you know, in, in the novel War and Peace, there's this scene where this young man, Nikolai, I think his name is, young man goes out and he's a coddled young man, but he goes to war. And he's on the battlefield and the armies, invading armies of Napoleon come over the hill. And these armies come charging down the hill at Nikolai and his bullets start to fly by him. And suddenly Nikolai realizes they're trying to kill me, me whom everyone loves. <laughs> they can't believe. Why would they kill me? My mother loves me. Why would they do that? And that's the way Rubio was. He was. It was like he was completely blindsided by an attack that Chris Christie has launched against him again and again and again. So Chris Christie says, you keep making the same stupid 25-second speech about how Barack Obama is intentionally destroying the country, but you really can't do anything. So here's, here's the cut, the, the kind of telling cut. See, Marco, Marco, the thing is this. When you're president of the United States, when you're a governor of a state, the, the memorized 30-second speech where you talk about how great America is at the end of it doesn't solve one problem for one person. They expect you to plow the snow. They expect you to get the schools open. And when the worst natural disaster in your state's history hits you, they expect you to rebuild their state, which is what I've done. None of that stuff happens on the floor of the United States Senate. It's a fine job. I'm glad you ran for it. But it does not prepare you for president of the United States. Chris, Chris, your state got hit by a massive snowstorm two weeks ago. You didn't even want to go back. They had to shame you into going back. And then you stayed there for 36 hours, and then he left and came back to campaign. See, Those are the facts. Here's the bottom line. This notion that Barack Obama doesn't know what he's doing is just not there true. There it is. He knows exactly what he's doing. There it is. The memorized 25-second speech. Well, that's the, that's the is, reason everybody. why this campaign is so important. Because I think this notion, I think this is an important point. We have to understand what we're going through here. We are not facing a president that doesn't know what he's doing. He knows what he is doing. That's why he's done the things he's done. You know That's why we have a president that passed Obamacare and the stimulus. All this damage he's done to America is deliberate. This is a president that's trying to redefine this country. That's why this election is truly a referendum on our identity as a nation, as a people. Our future is at stake. This election is not about the past. It is about what kind of country this is going to be in the 21st century. And if we elect someone like Barack Obama, 
a Hillary Clinton, a Bernie Sanders, or anyone <laughs> like that, our that. children are going to be the first <laughs> American. It's like it's like that scene in Alien where they realize one of the guys is a robot. You know, <laughs> he starts repeating the same thing, walking around in circles and all that stuff. He just kept it, and he did it like four times. It was absolutely embarrassing. So Christie got him because he locked him into the persona callow over-rehearsed, what do they call him, the Rubio bot, you know? I mean, that's that's what he did, and he just, and he fell for it. I mean, that's the, the yeah. bad thing, was not that it happened. You can launch that attack against the guy again and again and again, but once you've, but he fell right into it. He just acted it out. Let me show you Christie's best moment, though, and it's important because it has to do with Donald Trump, too. Christie's best moment is they said to, they asked the question generally about three candidates, 68% of the people, 68% of the people, it's, it's hard to get 68% of Americans to agree on anything, so almost 70% of the people People think that the tax on millionaires should be higher. Millionaires should pay more taxes. Listen to Chris Christie's response. This is why he's the governor. This is why he got elected governor, why he's in this race. Listen to this. This is great. So I want everybody in the public who isn't at 68%, I want to tell you the truth. You're wrong. And here's why you're wrong. After New Jersey raised taxes on millionaires, we lost in the next four years $70 billion in wealth left our state. It left our state to go where it would be treated more kindly. If, if the United States raised taxes any further, that money will leave the United States as well. We won't have better jobs. Let New Jersey be the canary in the coal mine. It is a failed idea and a failed policy. It's class warfare. It happened in my state. I've stopped it from happening again. But we cannot do it. The 68% of the people are wrong about that. It will hurt the American economy. We tried it in New Jersey. Come take a look. It did not work. See, what I love about this, okay, is Trump's persona is he tells it like it is, but it's a lie. His, it's his persona, and it's hard to see him outside of that. But that's really telling it like it is. That's a politician who lives and dies off the majority, telling 70% of Americans that they're wrong and then explaining why they're wrong because he knows what he's talking about. Now, compare that to Trump. Here is, is a, a clash between this Jeb exclamation point and, and Trump. And Jeb, it's, it's become kind of a joke at this point. You know, Jeb is like a basketball. Trump bounces him down the stage. But this time, it doesn't really work. Jeb goes after him for eminent domain. And let me just take a minute to explain what eminent domain is and why it's so important, okay? Eminent domain is in the Constitution. I think it's the Fifth Amendment of the Constitution. If the government has to build something that everybody needs, a highway, and your property is on the highway, they can take your property for just compensation. That's the words in the Constitution, just compensation. They, they can pay you to get off out of the way of the freeway. They're not going to reroute the freeway because your house is sitting there. So for public works, you're allowed to do it. In 2005, the Supreme Court made this terrible, terrible decision when you hear people say kilo because conservatives are always talking the shorthand and nobody knows what they're talking about. The Supreme Court makes this decision kilo that it's part of the public good if I take your house to build a mall because the mall pays more taxes. So essentially, the Supreme Court allowed the government and big business to combine to take your house away for just compensation. Now, before Kilo, Trump was building in Atlantic City, and there was an old lady who had a house where he wanted to build a waiting spot for limousines and a parking lot and a park to go with his casino, and she wouldn't leave. He offered him a million bucks for the house. And this old lady had lived in this house all the long ago. So, so he gets the state's casino commission to take her to court. This is before Kilo, but he's still using eminent domain to take her to court. 
and he loses because it's before Kilo. The court says, no, you can't just come and take this woman's house away to build a, a thing for a casino. It's ridiculous. After Kilo, they might've, she might have lost. She might have lost her house. And by the way, by the time the casino uh, commission was coming after her, they're only offering her a quarter of what Trump had offered. So Trump is combining up with this group to throw this poor old woman <laughs> into the street, and he happened to lose. He happened to lose the battle. So Bush comes after him for it. And listen to this. Yes. The difference between eminent domain for public purpose, as Donald said, roads and infrastructure, pipelines and all that, that's for public purpose. But what Donald Trump did was use eminent domain to try to take the property of an elderly woman on the strip in Atlantic City. That is not public purpose. That is downright wrong. And here's the problem with that. The problem was it was to tear down. It was to tear down. He wants to be a tough guy. He wants to be a tough guy tonight. It was to tear down. I didn't take the property. And the net result was you tried. I didn't take the property. The woman ultimately didn't want to do that. I that is not true. And the simple fact is to turn this into a limousine parking lot for his casinos is not a public use. And in Florida, based on what we did, we made that impossible. It is part of our constitution. That's the better approach. That is the conservative approach. Mr. Trump, take 30 seconds. Well, let, let me just, you know, he wants to be a tough guy. A lot of times, you'll have, you'll have, and, and it doesn't work very well with How tough is it a to lot take of a times, property you, from an elderly talk, woman? Let me talk. Quiet. How tough is it? A lot of it? times, a lot of times, that's all of his donors and special interests <laughs> out there. See, you know, it was funny that first couple of times when he went after Bush, because Jeb, exclamation point, does look like the guy who loses his lunch money, you know, take, the bully comes and takes his lunch money, and it's kind of comical. But after a while, it's just, he's a one-trick pony. He's a one-trick pony, saying Jeb, is, Jeb was making a perfectly valid point. He tried to throw an old lady. You know, later on, Trump says... It basically comes out for government health care because he says, I don't want dying, people dying in the streets. What he doesn't tell you is they're dying in the streets because he tried to take their house away. <laughs> yeah, first I take your house away, but I don't want you to die in the streets so the government's going to pay for your health care. You know, I mean, it's not really a very good argument. And, and that, again, that persona that he tells it like it is, the difference between what Christie did, which was telling it like it is, and that which is just bullying. It's just it's just a parade. It's It's so cheap. So let me... Let me just show you, the guy I really want to talk about after this debate is Cruz. Because I felt Cruz had a good debate in the sense that he didn't do anything wrong, he didn't do anything bad. But there is now this massive, the, the left-wing entertainment media and the news media and, of course, his political opponents, Cruz's political opponents, are working together to cast Cruz as a sleazy guy. And listen, if you have evidence that Cruz has done something sleazy or weaselly, Please send it in. Put it in the comment section. Send it to me. You can email me through my website. Whatever you want to do, because I can't find any evidence. All I find are the accusations. And let's face it, Cruz has a funny-looking face. I mean, Cruz is a fun He looks like a used car salesman. And he is a genuine evangelical Christian, so he has that air of piety, which doesn't sit well with a lot of Americans. I mean, it never has. It never has. The idea that Americans used to be pious and now they're not is not true. I mean, it is now true that you can openly insult religion where you couldn't before, but it's not true that, you know, Americans used to be these kind of holy roller pious people. The way Cruz handles religion has always, always gotten up the nose of, of Americans. So now you have Saturday Night Live after the debate, and they start to make fun of Cruz. And they're piling on. There are all these people calling him Weezy. He's in this fight with Ben Carson, basically. Ben Carson uh, left Iowa before the caucuses 
And the Cruz campaign sent out a note saying he's suspending his campaign, so come and caucus with me instead. And Cruz has not stopped whining, and Carson has not stopped whining and complaining about this. He's suggested that Cruz was a bad Christian because he did it. Cruz has apologized. Carson accepts the apology and then goes back to the attack, says back to this thing. So now SNL is piling on. On top of this, by the way, there's all this stuff. Dana Milbank, the left-wing columnist, in the Washington Post, this is unbelievable to me. He does this thing. You know how Cruz went out and he said, talked about Trump's New York values? So Dana Milbank says, you know what he really meant? Because later on in another speech, he said, as they, Cruz said, as they say in New York, he has chutzpah. And Dana Milbank says, so obviously what he means by New York values is Jews. He hates the Jews. <laughs> you think, really? <laughs> really? Because he used the word chutzpah? Now he's an anti-Semite? You know, I mean, it's, a, it's amazing. So now... Saturday Night Live piles in. Now, we have a bunch of... Let me show you the difference. Play the second cut of Saturday Night Live. And the final and largest key to my success, I'm a sneaky little stinker. That's actually the third one. Hold that one up. I have one. overcome perhaps the greatest political liability of all time being Ted Cruz. Mine is a story of triumph over adversity, like FDR in his wheelchair. But instead of a wheelchair, it's my personality and face. Now, how have I done this? A few things. First, my family. I would be nothing without the love and support of my incredible family, like my daughter, Catherine, here. Come here, sweetie. How about a hug for daddy? No. <laughs> Come on now. Give daddy a hug for the camera. No. All right. So that, see, it's very funny. I'm not, not, you know, obviously the Saturday Night Live, a bunch of talented left-wing guys. It's great. You know, it goes from an absolutely fair parody of him that he's dealing with this, the fact, the fact that he has a weird face and not a great personality. And Cruz himself says this. The character assassination, because Cruz obviously has a really good relationship with his children. They follow him around everywhere. They look perfectly happy. They're running around. They're having a good time. He's obviously very sweet with them and all this stuff. So they they move. The thing is, they're now creating this character. They're creating this persona of a Weasley guy. So now play the third cut that you were about to play before. And the final and largest key to my success, I'm a sneaky little stinker. <laughs> From sending out bogus flyers in Iowa to spreading rumors that Ben Carson had dropped out, I am like the greased pig of politics. <laughs> Folks, we've had presidents who were governors, generals. Isn't it time for a president who's just a nasty little weasel? Okay, so now let's look. Carson, before the Iowa caucuses, Cruz's campaign sends out a thing saying that Carson looks like he's, it, Carson is leaving the state and he has a big announcement to make suggesting that he is suspending his campaign. Carson has not stopped complaining about this. Here's Cruz's, one of Cruz's many apologies. He has apologized for this. Uh, last night when, when CNN posted uh, a news report that, that Ben was not continuing on to New Hampshire, not continuing on to South Carolina, but instead was going to Florida, uh, our political team forwarded it to the members of our team. Uh, but unfortunately, they did not then forward the subsequent story uh, that was Ben's campaign clarifying that, that, that he was continuing the campaign and was not canceling the campaign. And, and so I apologize to Ben for that. They should have forwarded that subsequent story. That was a mistake uh, on our part. Okay. So Carson is attacking him because his ego is hurt because he lost and because it's good politics. So it's good politics for him to cast Cruz in the sneaky weasel persona. 
Now, CNN piles on and says, no, 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 that's not what we reported at all. And they did it repeatedly. So here's the CNN babe saying, standing up for her network. Just so we're all cl crystal clear here, when, when Senator Cruz, with all due respect, tries to throw my network and CNN under the bus, let me stand up for, for my colleagues and my journalists here in terms of the CNN report that he keeps quoting that he believes we, was, you know, what, what we never said. Uh, with regard to Dr. Carson's campaign and, and going to Florida. Let me be precise in case this is seen again. Uh, we reported it accurately, and here are the facts. Dr. Carson's staff told us that he re would return home to Florida to quote unquote take a breath from the campaign before resuming his activities on the campaign trail. That accurate w w report was disseminated on television and CNN Digital, and that was that. Okay. First of all, by the way, when you throw CNN under the bus, CNN is a left-wing front organization. As far as I'm concerned, you can throw it under the bus, then back the bus up, then go forward again, then all the passengers can get off the bus and kick CNN and then get back on the bus, back up, and disappear over the horizon. Let's look at the report. Let's see what CNN reported. We should say that our Chris Moody is breaking this, this news that uh, Ben Carson is going to go back to Florida, to his home, regardless of how he does tonight here in Iowa. He's going to go there for several days, and then afterwards, he's not going to go to South Carolina. He's not going to go to New Hampshire. He's going to come to Washington, D.C., and he's going to do that because the National Prayer Breakfast is on Thursday, and people who have been following Ben Carson's career know that that's really where he got himself on the political map, attending that prayer breakfast and really giving it to... President Obama at the time, and he became kind of a hero among conservatives, among evangelicals, especially. But, but it's very unusual. Very unusual to be announcing that you're that you're going home to rest for a few days, not going on to the next site. Plus, he's already announced that he's going to be coming out and speaking at 9:15 local, 10:15 mm -hmm. Eastern. No matter whether or not uh, we know the results, uh, because he wants to get home and get ahead of the storm. Look. If you want to be president of the United States, you don't go home to Florida. I mean, that's just bottom line. That's the end of the story. If you want to signal to your supporters that you want it, that you're hungry for it, that you want them to get out of the campaign, you got to be out there doing it, too. And he's not doing it. It's very unusual. Doesn't that sound like CNN is suggesting he's suspending his campaign? It does to me. PolitiFact, a left-wing, biased, uh, you know, fact-checking organization, they come out and say, we've looked at this, they looked at what you just heard, what you just saw, and they say, oh, it's false. Cruz is, what Cruz said was totally false. It's obviously not false. Cruz is completely not, you know, I mean, he made a mistake. He's playing hardball politics. I'm not saying he's a, a sweet guy. I'm not saying he's being a nice guy. I'm saying he's playing hardball politics. But that report sounded to me like they were suggesting that Carson was about to come out and suspend his campaign, and Cruz jumped on it and got whatever advantage he can get. He said he was sorry. I think that's that should be the end of it. But there's all this, or, this organization, not just the news media, not just your political opponents, not just the news media, but when you are a conservative, a constitutional conservative, there's also the entertainment media, and there's also all those columns, everybody using anything they can. You said the word chutzpah, you're an anti-Semite. You know, it's just this absolute machinery. It's not a conspiracy. It's just all these people who are all on the same side in the same business. It's, it's a machine for locking conservatives into a negative persona. Like I said, if you have evidence Ted Cruz is a weasel. I, I, I like Ted Cruz. His politics kind of suit me, so I'm not pretending that I'm, I'm not biased. But I can't find, I've looked, I cannot find any example of him doing anything. You know, he went to Iowa, and he said that they, they should get rid of the subsidies for ethanol. 
I mean, come on. You know, that, that takes integrity. That takes strength. He seems to be exactly what he says he is, a constitutional Christian conservative. You don't like that. That's fine. But when I hear the press routinely and casually lumping him with uh, Donald Trump saying, oh, Trump and Cruz, Trump and Cruz, Trump and Cruz. Really? You know, really? This dishonest bully of a, you know, kind of fascistic thug who gets up and uses four-letter words and calls for people, for hecklers to be beaten up? You're comparing that with a constitutional scholar from the Ivy Leagues who stands up for the founding principles? It's just, it is, it's very frustrating to watch this persona-making machinery locking conservatives into place. And, of course, their political opponents perfectly reasonably taking advantage of that. So our guys never get ahead. I mean, a, a great example of this is, is Rick Perry saying oops and forgetting what he was talking about during the debate. That became this huge thing. So he forgot what he was saying, you know? I mean, because that never happened to you. I mean, it happens to everybody. I, I just think it's, it's just the game is slightly rigged. Now, getting back to this, getting back to the Super Bowl on the same idea of persona, there's a famous story. The, the Order of the Garter is the highest level of British... Uh, um, knighthood. Okay, it's the Order of the Garter. It's, it's, it's like winning a medal. If you get the Order of the Garter, it's like we have the, those American Freedom Medals. This is like a, their medal. Please. The legend of how the Order of the Garter, which is like a girl's garter that they use to hold up your stockings, they, that how that was created is during the 14th century, the king was dancing with his daughter-in-law and her garter slipped off and fell to her ankle and everybody started to snicker about the fact. So the king gallantly this is, you know, a legend. The king gallantly reached down, took her garter, and put it on his own leg and said in medieval French what is usually translated is, as evil to him who evil thinks. In other words, shame on you if you think an innocent uh, event is evil. The New York Times, an e a former newspaper, and ESPN, a former sports <laughs> station, reported on the Super Bowl as if it were a battle because Cam Newton, the insanely talented uh, quarterback for the Carolina Panthers is black. He's, I think, the sixth black quarterback. I mean, it's not like a record-breaking thing or anything. He's, you know, he's a black athlete, like there are no black athletes in America, right? And Peyton Manning is a white guy. They call him the sheriff. He's got that kind of twang and all this stuff. That somehow there was some racial element to rooting for the Denver Broncos. And evil to him who evil thinks, you know, I mean, they had, and, and Cam Newton <coughs> played into it. Cam Newton is arrogant. He is, uh, you know, vibrant and really fun to watch, but he does celebrations during games to humil and humiliates the other team. It's bad behavior. It really is bad behavior. And what he learned yesterday is the reason older guys get humble is because they realize anybody can lose. You, it doesn't matter who you are. Any movie star can make a bomb. Any athlete can get beat. You know, you, you have a little bit of humility because the victory always belongs to God. You know, <laughs> the victory is never is never yours, and you're just thankful for it. And that's why that's why people don't make fun of their opponents because their opponent can come back next time and wipe that grin off your face. And that's what happened. And Cam Newton afterwards walked into the locker room and he was monosyllabic and he was rude and he was dull. He wouldn't answer the reporter's questions. And you know, that's not a black and white issue. That is not a question of what the color of your skin. And when it, all these people do is they see race, if all you see is race, then all you can think is that, all you can think about is in terms of racism. If all you see is, is gender, all you can think about is in terms of sexism. I mean, it's like when Gloria Steinem said, 
of uh, Bernie Sanders. Oh, the only reason young girls are voting for Bernie Sanders because that's where the boys are. You know, it's like, I mean, that's you know that that it, it's crazy. You know, it's it's crazy. So anyway, evil to him who evil thinks, and evil to ESPN and the New York Times for casting the Super Bowl instead of as a sports a sporting event uh, between two very different kinds of quarterbacks, each of whom have things that are attractive about them. Uh, and things and and Cam Newton who has to grow up. He has to grow up a little bit. You know, for casting that as a racial issue, I think they ruin the game, and it's really wrong. All right, Valentine's stuff I like. I'm take I'm putting my reputation on the line here. I'm just I'm <clears throat> I, I put myself at your mercy, okay? Because finding stuff that is good romantic stuff that guys will also like is really tough. And if there's anything guys hate. It's Jane Austen, because they only see Jane Austen at the movies. They see Pride and Prejudice, and they see that Gwyneth Paltrow movie, Emma, and all this stuff. And they keep seeing, and these movies have women with bonnets in it. And for most guys, bonnets are a deal breaker. You know, it's like you want to go to a movie with bonnets, like, you know, they, they don't, sh you can't shoot a bonnet. You, you know, it doesn't explode. It's like, it's just, it's like, you want to take a guy to a movie with bonnets. However, however, there are very few great female novelists. There are not... There are female novelists who have written great novels like Jane Eyre and Middlemarch. Or these are great novels, but very few genius female novelists. Jane Austen is the greatest novel female novelist who ever lived, and she was a genius. And her books, Pride and Prejudice, she's bitchy and she's insightful, and she takes she writes wonderful romances because they are romantic, but she also takes the culture apart as she's doing it. So Pride and Prejudice. Great book, Emma. That's the book that the, that movie Clueless was based on. Uh, she's a, a great writer, so I'm going to take my reputation in my hands. I think that any man who likes, who loves novels, who loves great novels, can read Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice and think like, oh yeah, that that is great stuff because genius transcends every other category on the football field as well as in the arts. <laughs> so evil to him, who evil thinks. All right, that's it. Another week begins. We're here. We're here for another week to save the country. And tomorrow are the New Hampshire primaries, and there'll be lots to talk about. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. Come back, and we'll explain everything.